0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Conqueror's Podcast, Episode 2.2, Sargon the Great. I'll start this episode with an apology for an audio glitch that happened during the first introduction episode. This probably happened after I added the music at the end of the episode, and I will try my best that no more mistakes like that happen. Also, a little explanation for this episode's cover photo. As I'll explain later on, there are no sources that survive today from the Akkadian Empire, which also means that we have no definite image depicting Sargon. However, two notable heads of Akkadian statues were discovered in Nineveh, the later capital of the Assyrian Empire. One of them, a bronze head of a king, wearing the wig helmet of the old Sumerian rulers, is believed to be Sargon himself. Though lacking its eyes, and slightly damaged, the fact that this ancient masterpiece survived and gives us a possible depiction of the world's first great conqueror is just amazing. Now, I want to share with you all a thought that came up as I was preparing this episode, and that when it sunk in, I was just blown away. If I were to tell you the following names, Pompey the Great, Julius Caesar, Cleopatra, Jesus, all these are names of people who lived more than 2,000 years ago. That's ancient, right? Now think about that. We live closer to them than they did to Sargon the Great and the Akkadian Empire. Just think about that for a second. Sargon was even more ancient to them than they are to us. That's how old Sargon and that period are. Also, from what I read, there are records that document archaeological excavation conducted in what was considered back then as ancient Akkadian sites by the Neo-Babylonians during the reign of Nabonidus. That's more than 2,500 years ago. Unfortunately for us, this presents us with a problem that we will face more or less until the future episode of Cyrus the Great and his Achaemenid Persian Empire, the lack of reliable, first-hand sources. For Sargon, it is especially true, being that he is the oldest conqueror we'll discuss, predating the next, far more famous and better documented conqueror, Hammurabi, or as properly pronounced, Hammurabi, by more than 300 years. This is why we don't have any reliable sources for his early days, up until his taking of power in Kish, and even these are not from his lifetime, because no such records exist. Also, I will try to stick as much as possible with the historical story, but in some cases, to fill the gap, I will have to add a bit from the legend of Sargon. Okay, now for some history. Sargon of Akkad, a.k.a. Sargon the Great, was born sometime during the middle of the 24th century B.C., the exact or even estimated year of his birth is not known, nor is his place of birth. Even the name given to him at birth isn't recorded anywhere, as Sargon was a name he took later on. What is presumed is that due the Semitic origin of the name Sargon, and the fact that he chose to rule from Akkad, and make what would later be known as the Akkadian language, the language of his empire, is that he was a Semitic and not a Sumerian. The consensus is, That Sargon came from a humble background and was probably the illegitimate son of a priestess of the goddess Ishtar. The identity of his father is unknown. In a tale similar to that of Moses, his mother put him in a small basket, which she placed in the Euphrates. He was later discovered by a gardener in the service of Uruzababa, the king of Kish. After that, both legend and history are silent, because next we see Sargon all grown up and serving as a cupbearer to the king. The cupbearer is the guy who pours and usually tastes the wine for the king, a role which is evidence of both the character and the abilities of the young Sargon. For some reason, in the story it's in a dream that he has about Sargon overshadowing him, the king grows suspicious of Sargon, and after failing to kill him himself, he sends him to Lugal Zagesi, the king of Uruk we mentioned in the previous episode, with a clay tablet as an emissary. The tablet, however, held a request from Urzababa to lugal Zagesi to kill Sargon. It is here that again our sources go silent, and next we have Sargon deposing Urzababa as ruler of Kish, and afterwards defeating lugal Zagesi and leading him as a prisoner to the sacred city of Nippur to be ceremoniously executed. Afterwards, he laid claim to his empire. Some rebellions erupted, but these were quickly put down by Sargon showing his great skill as a warrior and a general, and more importantly, to the superstitious people of Mesopotamia, the favor of the gods. A celebratory inscription later boasted that Sargon triumphed in 34 battles on his march to the Persian Gulf, where he washed his weapons in the sea, symbolizing his conquest of the sea itself. It is at this stage that he seems to have taken the name Sargon, The name itself is in Hebrew and comes from the Old Testament. It is derived from the Akkadian name Sharukin, which translates to the true or the legitimate king, while hinting that this legitimacy came from the gods, something that you would need when being a bastard of low birth and deposing the previous rulers. From all the sources that are available to us, both historic and fictional, or a combination of them both, one can start to conclude what made Sargon different than those who preceded him, and what allowed his empire to endure and prosper. You see, up to this point, previous Mesopotamian rulers tended to see themselves as the rulers of their city, and their aim was to simply add to their city's prestige and wealth. Sargon, on the other hand, wanted to build what we would today call a state, or an empire, and it was he that was to stand at its center, not a city. First of all, he refounded or renovated the city of Agade, what we today call Akkad, and made it the capital of his realm. He set up and organized the administrative apparatus needed to efficiently run the empire. He appointed his own Akkadian governors for the various cities who answered to him alone. He oversaw the standardization of his own East Semitic language, now called the Akkadian language, and its adoption as the official language of the empire and its bureaucracy. As for Sumerian, it became a sacred, ceremonial, literary, and scientific language in all of Mesopotamia. Sort of what Latin is for us today. Second, Sargon was also aware of the importance of religion and harnessed it to solidify his rule. He appointed his daughter, Enhidwana, as high priestess at Ur, and through her he manipulated the religious and cultural affairs of the empire. Enheduanna is recognized on her own right as one of the world's first writers known by name. Third, and most important to our podcast, Sargon went on a conquering spree. With his acumen and administration skills no doubt extending to the military, Sargon established an army on a scale not yet seen at that time. Although it wasn't a fully professional army, it seems there was a corps of full-time soldiers who acted as his personal bodyguard and retinue. He campaigned further and longer than any previous Mesopotamian ruler and established what was at that time, and for more than 700 years, the largest empire the world had ever seen. He used the vast resources now under his control to build an unstoppable war machine greater than any before it. He went on to conquer all of northern Mesopotamia. He then went further north and west, conquering what is modern-day Syria and campaigning into Anatolia and into what is modern-day Lebanon, so that his empire stretched from sea to sea. One source, called The King of Battle, an epic tale based on oral traditions, also mentions Sargon crossing the Sea of the West and subduing Cyprus. To the east, Sargon at first repelled an invasion by the Elamites, or A'elamites, and then went on to defeat them and sack their cities, Including their capital of Susa. When he left, Ailam, what is now western Iran, was made a vassal of his empire. We don't have any sources that detail the campaigns or the battles, the numbers of the troops involved, or tactics used. The army was mostly composed of infantry and relied on levies from each conquered city. But archaeological evidence has been found through all the areas mentioned confirming Akkadian presence and rule, and their scale for that time period show us just how well the Akkadian military was organized and led. Wherever he conquered, Sargon set up the same administrative structure as he did in Sumer, appointing Akkadian governors and leaving Akkadian garrisons and establishing Akkadian as the language of the administration. His was the first multicultural empire with a central government. Roads were laid, the world's first postal system was established, and trade encouraged, not just across the empire, but also beyond. Great connections were established with ancient Egypt, Anatolia, what is modern-day Oman, and as far as the Indus Valley civilization to the east. Despite these successes, Sargon's later reign seems to have been plagued by many revolts across the empire, all which he was able to put down. We don't have definite dates, But Sargon seems to have ruled for about fifty years. His last and perhaps one of his greatest accomplishments, not to be taken for granted in any period, is that he was able to pass on the empire to a successor, his son Rimush. And although he was also faced with rebellions against the legitimacy of his rule, these he was able to put down thanks to the state and army his father had bequeathed to him. The so called Sargonid dynasty endured for more than a century and reached its height under Sargon's grandson, Naram-Sin. However, by the latter's last years, the serious troubles that would lead to its collapse began to appear, and by the reign of his son, Sargon's great-grandson, Shar-Kalishari, the empire was no more. This was due to a combination of internal instability, external invasions by a people from the east called the Gutians, but most severely, natural calamities in the form of severe droughts that weakened the empire and eventually led to its fall. In my opinion, the greatest thing Sargon left for the world wasn't his empire, but his legacy. Already a legend during his own lifetime, he and his empire provided the benchmark to which future empires were measured upon. The Akkadian Empire was the first political entity to make extensive and efficient use of bureaucracy and administration on a large scale, and set the standard for future Mesopotamian states whose rulers sought to portray themselves as Sargon's heirs, and through them, the Achaemenids. Not until the rise of Cyrus would the leader of that scale and magnitude rise to the world stage, and even he was influenced by Sargon. Okay guys, we reached the end of the story for our first Great Conqueror. Our next Great Conqueror will take us more than 300 years after the fall of the Akkadians, the first empire to rise in that area after the turmoil caused by the fall of the world's first empire, the Babylonian Empire, and to a man far more known to us for his law code than his conquests. Hammurabi. Thank you all for listening to The Conquerors Podcast. If you like the podcast, don't forget to rate it and press the subscribe button. Your reviews and comments are most welcome, You can leave them on the podcast's Facebook page called The Conqueror's Podcast, a YouTube channel with the same name, or on iTunes or any other platform you guys use to listen. You can also contact me directly at Podcast at gmail.com. Until our next time.